Thank you, Maggie. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning is Senior Sunday, um, and I was debating over the last few weeks what to preach on. And uh, if you've followed the book that we've been going through, today's chapter, or this week's chapter, is I Will Not Be a Church Dropout. I thought that was appropriate to do on Senior Sunday. So I'm going to talk about that. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as we begin, let's pray. God, I pray that you will help us as we go into this time where we look in your word. Lord, as we sang a moment ago, Lord, my desire is that those here in this auditorium don't see me, they don't hear me, but they hear Christ. That your words resonate with them, that your Holy Spirit convicts them. And Lord, that we walk out of here saying truly that Christ is Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand this passage. We ask this in your name. Amen. As I said, we're continuing through the study of this uh, book, and uh, as our focal point for our study, we looked at a number of different areas, and you can see them listed there. Last week we looked at giving, but today I want to focus on I will not be a church dropout. Of course, the word dropout immediately makes us think of different realms of life, and some think of high school dropouts. I don't know if you know this, but there's a growing trend. It says today that the average, and this shocked me, and I I read this, and I researched and found that this is true, that 7 out of 10 students um, do not actually successfully graduate from high school. 7 out of 10. I should say in four years, some take longer, and they said that that's part of it. Uh, Many of those who do not graduate, they simply drop out. Some it's for other reasons, but they simply drop out. And uh, and if you drop out, it's said that your life is, is dramatically different. It says someone who lacks a high school education during his lifetime will earn 60% less than those who graduate from high school. It also said, this is an interesting stat, that um, of those that are in state penitentiaries, 75% of them are high school dropouts. We recognize that uh, students uh, do that, but here we're not recognizing these three students because they're high school dropouts. We recognize them because they finished. They finished the task of their education, and, uh, and they did all the requirements that, that they needed to do to be where they are today. And yet, I want to focus today not on high school dropouts, but I want to focus on the other problem is, is that many uh, high school students, when they graduate from, uh, from high school, drop out of church and drop out of their faith. I uh, was a youth pastor for many years, and I look back and I can see over and over again in my head names and faces of individuals who, who, who faithfully attended church but turn their back on God. And it's not just high school students. I've seen it with adults. I've seen it with other people who, who for a period of time said they followed Christ and did the things of Christ and yet they, uh, they fell away. And people are leaving church all the time. And why are people leaving church? Uh, many times it's for multiple reasons that they're leaving church. And many times I believe what happens is we as a church, we sit there and we criticize them, and in many cases it's rightfully so, but what we should be asking is, how do we keep it from happening? 
How do we prevent this dropout epidemic that's happening in our churches today? How do we prevent it? How do we stop it? I'm sure, honestly, there's probably many times in your lives, or maybe in some of you it's one or two times where you remember specifically not just leaving a church, but wanting to leave church. I think of one time in my life, and I'm going to get real personal here. I hope you're okay with that. I was a sophomore in high school. Excuse me, a sophomore in college, junior in college. I'll get it right. And uh, I was just going through a battle. I was in Bible college training to be a youth pastor um, and serve in, in churches and in camps and whatever God laid in my heart. But yet, I was having an internal battle inside myself of saying, is it really worth it? Do I really want to continue? And during that time in my life, I found out uh, uh, something that happened where someone extremely hurt, hurt me in an extremely hard, difficult way. I was angry. I was bitter. I, 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 was, I was mad at life. I was mad at God. I was mad at everything. I remember particularly I was, I was, on, uh, on, I was traveling somewhere and I was on the highway and I, came to a, uh, I was coming to a location where I had to get onto a new highway and I either had to go north to home or I could go south. And I remember in that moment thinking, I am done with being a Christian. I am done with life. I am done. I'm going to hop and I'm going to go south and I'm going to just go. <laughs> uh, the amazing thing what happened was as I was going through this, I'm I'm, I'm pleading with God, God, show me something. God, do something in my life. I'm, I'm crying, driving in the car, never a wise idea. And all of a sudden, I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a, I see the lights. Woo, woo, woo. And I, I pull over, and I'm a wreck. I really am. At this point, I am, I am, I am a mess. And the police officer looks at me and says, do you know how fast you were going? And I responded, and this is what he said to me. He looked at me and goes, do you speak English? And I said, yes, I do. Apparently, I had just uh, left one state and traveled to another. I don't, honestly, I don't remember this. And in the process of traveling from one state to another, the, the speed limit went down 10 miles an hour, and I didn't. And so I received the ticket, rightfully, rightfully so. But you know, that, uh, is, as strange as this sound, I hop, I, I hop back on the highway and I continue going and and I said, God, I know you're out there and you're watching me. In the same way the police are. But you're watching me. And Lord, I don't know how you're going to get me through this trial, but I know you are. But you know, I think there are many people, many times in life, who are in the exact spot I was. And they made a different choice. My question is, why does that happen? Why are people leaving church today? And you say, well, I'm here, so I'm obviously not. But yet, I, I can believe that in here this morning, there are people who are struggling with this battle in their life. And they're struggling with these thoughts. And, and some people leave the church because they say, everyone in church is hypocrites, and I'm tired of hypocrites, and I'm going to go. And, 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 and that maybe is you today. 
And I'm not talking today about leaving this church. I am talking about leaving church altogether. And I want to ask the question, and and the book here asks the question, and we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at stuff that's not in this book, but I want to ask the question, two questions this morning. First one I ask is, why do members become church dropouts? Why does this happen? And the book pointed out two things, and I want you to notice them. First of all, I believe, number one, is because of burnout. What is burnout? I believe burnout can happen for a number of reasons. Burnout can happen because a believer is doing too much. Or this may sound odd, but I think burnout can happen because a believer is doing too little. It happens when we're serving in a church, but we have no passion for it. Burnout occurs when we think the wrong thing about our service. And I think this happens with many people. They think that their service is a, a checklist of ways to please God. If I just do this, this, and this, if I serve in, in Sunday school, and if I sing in the choir, and if I, you know, I do that, God is going to be pleased with me, and He's going to be happy with me. But what we forget is that we're, we're, we're seeking to please God based on what I have done, and not what Jesus did on the cross. And our pleasing Christ does not come because I preached a morning service. I I am not pleasing to Christ because I read my Bible this week. I am pleasing to Christ and I'm pleasing to God because of what Christ did on the cross for me. Notice what Ephesians says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For by grace have you been saved through faith and not in... And this is not in your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is, it is very clear what it says. These verses are extremely clear. Our salvation comes by grace given to us by God. It is not through our works. And I can stand up here this morning and I can say, you know what? My Heavenly Father is pleased with me not because I'm good. My Heavenly Father is pleased with me not because um, I have done all these things this week. My Heavenly Father is pleased with me because one day Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins that I have committed. But here's the thing. is This passage doesn't stop there. It goes on in the next verse and it says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved by works, but what's interesting is verse 10 tells us we are saved to do good works. That's a whole different mindset. You know, God has a plan for your life. Graduates, God has a plan for your life, and what that includes is salvation which results in works. I believe many people burn out when their motivation to work in the church, when their motivations to serve becomes something other than what God says. Their motivation to, to serve becomes self-centered. And their motivation to serve becomes, well, I have to do this because if I don't do this, God won't be pleased with me. And we're missing out the truth. Why are we serving? I believe there are many people who are leaving the church because they're burnt out. But secondly, the word that's used here is, uh, I believe people are leaving the church because atrophy. You say, what is atrophy? Atrophy is a biological term that, that means our bodies waste away if we don't use them. Have you ever had a broken bone? Okay, I'm, I'm an odd person. I've had three broken, broken bones in my life, and 
not to get too personal again, but none of them are castable, you know what I'm saying? I broke my nose, and that's where we'll stop, but uh, uh, broken bones, and, but if you've ever had a cast, you've had, I, I've had friends that, you know, they get a cast, and they have, they have a broken leg, and they, they have a cast, and, and they say, you know, the, they have it on for a long period of time, and, and then when they finally get it off, they can't use it the way they did. It's healed, but yet it hasn't been used, and so atrophy set in and didn't allow it to, to be usable. And spiritual atrophy is, is the idea of uh, we, we get tired and weary because we're not using our spiritual muscles. And I believe there are many Christians that are that way. They sit around and say, serve me, serve me, serve me, and they don't actually serve. Because they're not serving, they get their, their, their spiritual muscles are weak, and they get tired. Now, on the burnout side, we don't want to serve just because it's a legalistic list of things we have to do. And some people say that. Well, I'm not going to do that. But Scripture still says we have to serve. It still says we need to be active. It still says we need to be very involved. The the author of this book, Tom Rainer, said this quote, If you are not serving in the church, you are not a legitimate church member. So that's harsh. No, I believe it's true. How do I know that? Because notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And we've talked about this many times, but individual members cannot say, No, I'm done. We serve. Now why is it there are church dropouts? Because people are burnt out. People have atrophy. People are just saying, No. So then what I want to spend the rest of the time is, is how can members avoid being church dropouts? How can you avoid that? I asked you to turn to 2 Thessalonians, and that's where we'll focus our attention. And I want to look at three areas, and under those, you see in your notes there's three areas, but under each of those, there's three points that I'll give you with that as well. How do we avoid being a church dropout? Number one, first one, is we cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. We cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. What's amazing is over and over, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, I will over the course of this message, but if if you look through in verses uh, 13 and down to chapter 3, verse 5, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, down to 3, 5, you will see that Paul is talking about a number of different things, and what he talks about is thankfulness. Thankfulness is something that was a huge part of Paul's life. Look at some verses, look at first, or Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. Notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 3. For we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2, he says, For we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Paul, over and over and over again, expresses thankfulness. In fact, it's said that there are 43 references to thankfulness in Paul's epistles. Over and over again. We know 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, what does Paul say? In everything, give thanks. I think the emphasis Paul was giving was in every aspect of life we need to be thankful. And you know, sometimes that takes work and that's why I use the word cultivate because sometimes it's hard. I mean, Paul was a guy that was in and out of jail. He was beaten. He was mistreated. And yet he said, in everything give thanks. And that takes work. You know, young people, you're going to face trial after trial, and the question is, can you find a way to say God is still good? 
We know the story where Jesus healed the ten lepers and he comes and there's these ten guys that are suffering from leprosy and leprosy was a terrible dreaded disease. No one wanted it. It changed their lives and it impacted them in a great way and it caused them to suffer and suffer and suffer. And yet, after he healed the ten lepers, only one of them returned to thank Jesus. What about the other nine? I think many times we're the other nine. We're self-centered, only thinking of ourselves. Why is thankfulness so important for a Christian? Why is it so necessary? Because I can assure you this, if you're not truly thankful then you're not going to be truly growing in your faith. If you are truly faithful, then I can tell you this, you're going to show your gratitude by being consistent in your church attendance because you know that that's the only way that you are going to continue to grow in your faith. You know, giving thanks publicly in church glorifies God. You'll show your gratitude that way. You'll show your gratitude by serving in the church. You'll show your gratitude by giving to the church. You'll show your gratitude in so many ways and you begin to cultivate it. And the question we have to ask ourselves is what should we be thankful for? And if I was to ask you that question, you know on Thanksgiving you always ask that question, what are we thankful for? If I was to ask you what are you thankful for, we always give the same uh, answers, don't we? Well, I'm thankful for my family, which I am. I'm thankful for my, uh, my uh, friends. I'm thankful for my church. I'm thankful for food. Those are all great things. But I want to give you three things that this passage gives us that we are to be grateful for. First of all, I want you, uh, we need to be grateful for and we need to thank God for His great love. Notice in this passage, numerous times he, member, he mentions the love of God. Notice verse 13, he says, but we ought to always give thanks to, to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. Do you not realize what an incredible privilege it is that the God of this universe loves you? Paul goes on and look at verse 16, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loved us. Look down at chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. And here I believe Paul is, is, is stating, and in chapter 3 he's praying, he's saying that God would direct our hearts into a greater understanding of His love. Do you know how much God loves you? He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you with an everlasting love that never ends. No one else does that. But God loves you that much. When was the last time that you thanked God for His love? God, I, don't, I know I don't deserve it. And just simply, God, I thank You that You love me cultivating an attitude of thankfulness for the love of God will prevent church dropout. What's the second thing we need to be thankful for? Uh, we see in this passage we need to thank God for His saving grace. Notice if we will again in verse 13, he says, for we are always to give thanks, always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And comprehend that for a moment. He chose you. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't fully understand the doctrine of election. But one thing I know is salvation of believers rests on God's divine choice. And it rests on God's divine initiation. 
God sought me out. If you are here today and you're a Christian, God sought you out. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that amazing that God cares that much about us? And all we have to do is simply respond. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. It is not that we uh, did something special. It's because God reached out in His incredible love, said, I want to give you grace. You know, and this wasn't some simple afterthought of God. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? Before God said, let there be light, He said, I love you. Before God said, you know, created uh, man, God knew that one day there would be this weird dude named Pete Jones that He was going to save. That is incredible. That is an amazing thought. What a privilege we have. And yet, it often becomes about us. We were chosen by God, Christ chose us to be His. And we should be thankful that He has chosen us for such an incredible, special relationship. We need to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. And we need to thank God for His great love, for His saving grace. And then third, we need to thank God for His good hope. Notice, if you will, at verse 16, what He says there. He says, May our Lord Jesus Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us an eternal comfort and good hope through grace. We live in a world where there is not much hope. I don't think most of us here are looking forward to uh, an election, looking forward to uh, uh, events down the road because we look and we see a world that is troubled. But through Christ, in the most darkest world, we have hope. And this hope is founded upon the promises of Scripture. And I want to just give you one aspect of that. If you will, look at verse 14. In verse 14 he says, To this he called you. What is it that God has for you? What is God's plan for you? Notice what he says. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. Notice what he says right there. He says, here's, here's the hope you have. One day, it's not just that you'll be in the presence of Jesus. One day, it's not just that you might be acquainted with Jesus. Notice what he says. One day, you will share in the glory of Christ. Man, that's incredible. One day in heaven, we will share in all the privileges. The Bible tells us that we are co-heirs with Christ. All those blessings and privileges that come uh, of being the Son of God, the Scripture tells us that we will have. One day we will be like Christ, and that is the hope that we have. It's not here, it's not now, it's not, not, not about this earth. This is temporary, this is fleeting. And it hurts, and it's painful at times, and, and, and it just, it's, at times it seems to drag, and yet one day we have this hope that one day we'll stand in the presence of God and all these blessings will be ours. 
We need to cultivate. We need to build an attitude of thankfulness. I guarantee you, people who are dropping out of church do so because they have lost the attitude of thankfulness. Secondly, we want to look at is in order to not be a church dropout, we need to understand God's role in our spiritual journey. Some people don't become Christians because they think they don't think that they can live the Christian life. You've probably heard that before. I have in, in times when I'm sharing Christ with someone and they say, oh, I can never do that because that means I have to be good. <laughs> I'm afraid I'd be a hypocrite. Others accept Christ, but they drop out because they soon realize they can't live the Christian life. They get saved and they say, I'm, I'm trying to do what's right, and then they go, oh man, I messed up. Oh, I failed. Oh, I'm a failure. And before you know it, they've dropped out and they've, they've gone because here's the problem is that they, have, they don't have the proper understanding of how to live a Christian life. And we think sometimes that the Christian life is just doing the best I can. If I just do the best I can, then that's okay. But that's the wrong perspective. Notice, if you will, in, in, uh, in this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 4. Notice what it says there, and it's really interesting. Paul is talking about the church at Thessalonica, and he says, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. There Paul is stating something. He's saying, hey, church at Thessalonica, I have complete confidence in you that you're going to do what you're supposed to do. I have complete confidence in you that you're going to live the Christian life. But I want you to notice something. Where is his confidence based? If you look in that passage again, I underline it in my Bible. He says this, I, we have confidence, what? In the Lord about you. Because the Christian life, our confidence is not in ourselves. If it becomes in ourselves, too many people, they accept Christ and, and they, they have faith in Christ and they know it's faith that saves them, but yet it's not faith that allows them to live their daily life. Now they think, oh, I'm a Christian and I've got to do what's right and I've got to do what's right and I've got to do it all in my own strength. And yet he says here, our confidence should be in Christ. I love what Paul says in Philippians when he talks about it. He says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? Who began the work in you? It was, it was Jesus' work on the cross that began the work in you. And what it's saying is, is that the day, uh, at the completion of that, who's going to continue that work? It's Jesus that will continue that work. I believe so many people drop out of life. They drop out of church because they think it has to be all about them. And they don't rely in Christ. That story I told you earlier about myself, that was me. I was a Bible college student. I thought I had to have it all together. I thought I had to be this, this perfect individual that, that understood everything perfectly and, and never made a mistake, and yet I was, I was dealing in my heart with rage and anger and bitterness, and I thought there was no way I could have that in my life and still be accepted in God's eyes. And yet, we see in Scripture that that's the case. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul said this as well. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we'll get to that in a moment. There is an aspect of we doing something. But notice he goes on, he says this, 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Man, if I am successful as a Christian, it is not because this guy's got it figured out. It's because of God working through me. The Christian life is not a matter of God saving us and then telling us, go do the best you can. The Christian life is God saving us and then continue to live His life through us. And God's desire is to help us. And God's desire is to have a significant role in your Christian experience. And when we do that, when we understand that, we can see Him working in our life. And I want to look at three ways that I believe God's role, God wants to have a role in our lives in this passage. First of all, God is able to comfort and encourage you. We see in, in this passage in, in 2 Thessalonians, and we had a Sunday school class here a few months ago that studied this, and they talked about this, and, and we see in 2 Thessalonians that this church was facing persecution. If you notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 4. Therefore we ourselves uh, boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and the affliction. These people were being beaten, literally and figuratively. They were feeling overwhelmed. The pressure was huge. And you know what? They needed comfort. You ever need comfort? They did. They were troubled. They were discouraged. They were down. But notice, if you will, at Second Thessalonians 2, look at verse 16. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loves us and gives us eternal comfort. When you are down and discouraged, God can encourage you. When you are troubled, God can comfort you. He goes on in verse 17. Notice what he says there. Comfort your hearts. God's desire is to comfort you. You and I need comfort. We face troubles, we face trials of life, and we get discouraged. We get discouraged. We want to quit. It seems that in life, it seems that maybe in our society, in our culture, there are so many who are opposing living for God. It seems that we battle. Maybe I'm alone in this. I know I'm not. But it seems like we battle a battle where sin never seems to end. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, man, God, I've, I felt like I was conquering this sin, but then this other one popped up. And the comfort is that our final victory is coming. And sometimes it seems that victory is so far off, and as a result of that, we get discouraged. And we get to the point, and maybe you've been there as I was as a college student, we get to the point where we're ready just to throw in the towel, and we're ready to say, I'm done, I'm done doing this, I'm done doing all these things, and, and, and we get to that point, but we can know that in the midst of that, God desires to comfort us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to care for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, it says, God comforts the downcast. 
God comforts those. He comforts and encourages us with His precious Word. He comforts and encourages us with His Holy Spirit. He comforts and encourages us through the encouragement of those around us. There was a point at this in this week where I was feeling down. I was feeling discouraged, and and uh, God God pointed me to a scripture I was reading, and and it was it was such an encouragement, such a blessing. And you know, and then there was another point in this week where I was down and discouraged again. And someone wrote a note to me and and thanked me for something, and it it again gave me the reminder that I can continue on because God is good. God's desire is to comfort you, and he is able to comfort you. But not only that, God is able to strengthen and establish you. If you look at verse 17, it says in verse 17, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. God is able to do that for you. In verse, uh, uh, excuse me, I wrote down the wrong verse. Um, It tells us that God is faithful to establish us. There it is, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. And, and guard you against the evil one. In both of those verses, in verse 17 of chapter 2 and in verse 3 of chapter 3, in both of those verses, the idea of establish there is to strengthen the foundation or a structure of a building. Now, thankfully, we're not in this type of area, but if you lived in an area where earthquakes were common, you would hope and you would uh, be uh, hoping that your, your, your foundation of your house, your foundation of your workplace, your foundation of wherever you went was strong so that if an earthquake came, it would stand firm. And that's the same thing that God wants. God doesn't want you to be weak and fall down. God does not want you to be uh, unable to do. In fact, He wants you to be strong enough to do every good work. And He can strengthen you. Through His Word, through the, the encouragement of others, through His Spirit, He can strengthen you. And I'm sure there's times when you need strength. And I've had people say that to me in counseling. I don't have the strength right now. And I say, I know, but God does. And He wants to encourage us and strengthen us. And thirdly, God is able to protect you from the evil one. I read that verse a moment ago in, in chapter 3, verse 3, where He says that He will guard you from the evil one. He not only wants to strengthen you from within, but He wants to protect you from without. And He says that He'll do that. In 1 Corinthians, He tells us, no temptation has overtaken you uh, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. You will be able to endure it. I've heard before, People will say this phrase, they'll say, the devil made me do it. You ever heard that one? This passage here tells me that's not possible. That is not possible. As a believer, that is not something that can happen because the Bible tells us there is no temptation that God will not give you a way to escape. If we let God do His work in our life, He will give you victory over Satan. He'll give you victory over temptation. But I think so many times we give in. And yeah, Satan's man, he's, he's, he's evil. And he's trying to get you to fall. And I think he's trying super hard right now in our time to, to get Christians to fall. Because he doesn't want us to be a lighthouse. And he's, he's trying to get us to stumble. And, and, and so he's doing that. But you know what? God says, I give you a way to escape. 
And I establish your hearts, and I will give you, guard you against the evil one. And maybe some of you right now, man, you feel the evil one powering into your life. God is giving you what's necessary to escape. Rely on him. I'm calling upon you to understand what God will do for you and trusting that he is. Because what does he say in verse 3? Notice again what he says in verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. We need to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. We need to understand God's role in our spiritual journey. But uh, finally, we need to understand your role in your spiritual journey. I said a moment ago, it is God who works in you, but yet God does give you things and commands that we need to do. And I notice in this passage, in this, this passage, he gives us that. In the process of spiritual strengthening, I believe sometimes we as believers are passive. Okay, God, do something. Uh, I'm waiting for that. And we, and we need to take an active role with God helping us and growing in our faith and accomplishing what He wants to do. Notice uh, from our text three things that we should do. First of all, He tells us to stand firm. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, He tells us, So then, brothers, stand firm. This is a, a, ver- a verb there, that, a phrase there that is a, in the present active Voice. What that means is that we're to stand firm continually. It is not supposed to be a one-time thing. It is supposed to be we stand firm. And too often we stray to the Lord and sometimes drop out altogether because we don't do that. Because we don't stand firm. Trust God and He will enable you to stand firm. Of course, we notice in this passage that the greatest example of this is Christ. If you look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, and notice what it says next, to the steadfastness of Christ. Stop and contemplate that for a moment. Christ was incredibly patient. Christ endured adverse circumstances in his life. He did not quit when all his followers quit. He did not quit when his enemies seized him. He did not quit when they started to lash his back and rip his back apart. <coughs> Excuse me. He did not quit when they crucified his hands and his feet. He did not come down from the cross when they mocked him. Scripture tells us that he did it all. And in the, the night before he died, he said this. He said, Lord, take this cup from me. What was that cup? That cup was the, the wrath of God in his life. He drank every drop of God's wrath. Why? Because he sinned? No, because you sinned and I sinned. And yet he persevered. And it's saying in this passage, how, how, how can we continue on? Because of the steadfastness of Christ. We are to stand firm. We're to be solid. We're to be firm in what we believe, and yet we need to uh, make sure that we're not backing down. Second thing he tells us is we're not only to stand fast, but we're to hold fast to the Word of God. Notice, if you will, again, at verse 15, it says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to, to to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Oftentimes we look at the word tradition and we're thrown off by what he means. If we look in Scripture, we see over and over again, it talks about that at the uh, last days, many will depart from the faith. 
And what he's telling us in this passage is we need to hold and we need to affirm our uncompromising commitment to the Word of God. The word tradition that is used there is not referring to the traditional ways we do things. It's a, it's a verb uh, that literally means this. It means to give to, into the hands of someone else. And what is being said there is this. Paul is saying, hey, I have the Word of God and I, I'm giving it to you. And what he's telling is this, is as it's placed in your hands, and not just the book, but the words inside, he's saying we need to hold on to and not ever let go. And we are to hold fast to what we receive. The Bible has been handed down to us as a sacred trust from God down to godly men who wrote it, down to more, down to us. As Paul said to Timothy, he says, teach, as I taught you, teach faithful men who will teach faithful men and, and take this Word of God and hang on to it because it's not the Word of men, it's the Word of God. What this means is that we hear and we read the Bible, and, but we do more than that, we retain it. We continue in it. We allow it to penetrate our hearts and lives and we never turn from it. Notice, if you will, verse 4. I read this a moment ago, but chapter 3, verse 4, he says this, and we have the confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And the idea of what he's saying there is we have this confidence uh, in the Lord concerning you that you'll continue on. We must be biblically obedient to the teaching of the Word. Hold fast. I believe that there's too many Christians today that are, uh, are wishy-washy in their understanding of the Bible. So they're not hanging on to it. I'm appalled how many times Christians will say something and I'll say, you know, where does Scripture say this? And they don't have a clue. And you say, maybe you're, you're young in the faith and so you don't know every aspect of the Bible, but that's why you need to be in it. That's why you need to be in Sunday school. That's why growth group is, is a fantastic place to grow and learn together. Hold on to it. We're supposed to stand fast. We're supposed to hold fast to the Word of God. And then finally, we're supposed to pray for one another. Intercessory prayer was a very important part in keeping these believers from dropping out. And that is what Paul says, says over and over again. And Paul, Paul not only set, set, the, set, the, set the example to do the same, if you look in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. He asked the believers at Thessalonica, he says, pray for me. He realized something. He realized that his own dependence on God uh, was, was possible as others prayed for him. And he realized that he, he could not do it on his own. He needed God's strength and he needed others to pray for him. As a church, are we, are we continually taking others to the Lord? Are we praying for one another? But I want you to notice what he prayed for. Notice what he says. What he, what he, I should say what he asked for them to pray for. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among us, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. What is he praying for? Simply, he's not praying for personal blessing, but he's praying for the progress of the gospel. As you study the Bible, you'll see that 
when Paul um, came into Thessalonica, the, the, the city where this, this, book, this letter was written to, when he came into that, um, God did incredible things, and there was a very clear, spectacular results that happened, and people were getting saved, and, and, and many were converted quickly. Uh, the church grew, and, and, and Paul is saying to them, he's saying, pray that the same thing happens wherever I go. And then he says in verse 2, he says, pray for deliverance. You know, there is evil in the world around, and Paul is saying, pray for us that we do not fall to the evil one or to the evil ones. That's those around the mankind that pushes us to do the wrong thing. We need to, as a church, commit to pray for one another. Deacons, you should be praying for those in, in, in your group. Sunday school teachers, you should be praying for your class. Members, you should be praying for those around you. Growth group attendees, you should be praying for those in your growth group. Teens, you should be praying for fellow teens. We cannot survive, we cannot grow unless we're praying for one another. And our role in our spiritual journey is, is pleading with God, God work through us. In closing, I just want to ask you a question, a couple questions actually. Where will you be a year from now? Will you still be active in your church attendance? Maybe in this next year, God is going to move you on to another location. Maybe in this next year, uh, God is going to change your jobs. Maybe a number of different things are going to happen, but my question is, will you still be active? Will you still be living for God? Will you still be serving the Lord? Or will you no longer be in church? Will you have become another statistic of another dropout? I think what we've seen from this text is that in order to, that, to be avoided, we need to be cultivating an attitude of thankfulness, thankful for all that God has done, all that God is doing. We need to trust God to enable you to live the Christian life. It's not just you, it's God working, and, and He will sanctify you, He will encourage you, He will strengthen you, He will protect you. You can live your Christian life as you trust God to work in and through you. And then you must accept your responsibility. Stand fast. Um, I love, and my family, we love spending time at the ocean. We don't live by it anymore, but, uh, so whenever we get an opportunity, we like to. And uh, I like to go out in the water, and if you uh, remember, I, I used to do this as a kid, I still do this. You, know, you, stand, you stand in the water at the ocean, and, and we used to play a game where you try to stand there and not move. You ever do that before? And the wave comes and just pounds you around and you try to stand. And that's, that's the idea of what he's saying is we need to stand firm because you are going to get pounded. Whether it's by the world or by your own flesh, you're going to. And he's saying we need to stand firm. We need to hold on to the Word of God. We need to pray for one another. And if you do these things a year from now, you know what? You're going to be living for God. You're going to be living in a way that pleases Him. But not only a year from now, if you continue cultivating thankfulness for all that God has done, if you continue to understand the place that God has in your spiritual walk, if you continue to, to do the things that, you're, that is necessary for you to do, you know what? You will continue, as, as Paul said in Philippians, you will continue until the completion, which is the day that Christ returns. 
You know, these young people here are here because they didn't drop out of school. We're thankful for that. My challenge to you this morning is do not drop out of your faith. And with that, do not drop out of church and walking with God. Let's pray. God, I am thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for what you have done for me. Lord, and I am reminded each and every day that the good things I have in life are all because of you. And when I begin to take my eyes off of you and focus on myself, I fail over and over again. Lord, I pray you'll help us as individuals that will be thankful for you, will acknowledge the place that you have in our life, that you want to encourage us, you want to strengthen us, you want to protect us from the evil one. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be firm, hold fast to your word. Lord, I pray you help us to be people who are praying for one another. Or if there's any here who have not placed their faith in you, they don't have the assurance of the hope that you have given us. I pray that you will convict their hearts. Lord, for Christians, maybe, Lord, there's some here discouraged this morning. I pray that you'll help them to see that you want to encourage them. Maybe there's some here that are contemplating dropping out. Lord, I pray that you help them to be strong through your will, through your work in their lives. Lord, thank you again. We ask this in your name. Amen.